0: Jim Cameron, Jim Cameron Consulting, broadcasting from the Fountainhead, home of Synergy Billing, and I'm your host for Volusia Matters news, interviews, and matters that impact Volusia County directly or indirectly. And now for the news. We're going to start with the legislature in Tallahassee, and they're going into their fourth week. And last week, the House Ways and Means Committee supported. House Bill 1195, that would require a two-thirds vote by local entities, that's cities and counties, to approve increases in millage rates. And most local entities now need a simple majority vote to approve property tax increases to help fund their annual budgets. Now, the Florida League of Cities and Association of Counties have not taken stands on this proposal, but the Senate version, Senate Bill 1322, is before their Finance and Tax Committee, of which our Senator Travis Hudson is a member. Now, a House bill analysis of this bill suggested that the legislature itself might need a two-thirds vote to approve this due to a 2018 state constitutional amendment that would require two-thirds vote by the legislature when mandating changes that would reduce local government authority to raise revenue. And then also, housing affordability is still a major consideration this session, with members of both parties wanting to address the topic. Democrats say rents are too high and want government intervention. In other words, a fully funded Sadowski Housing Fund. Meanwhile, affordable housing has been a priority for Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo, the driving force behind last year's Live Local Act. And she too wants a fully funded Sadowski Housing Fund. However, she opposes several Democratic bills, including one that would impose rent controls. Now, the Live Local Act's primary goal is to reward companies for building more affordable housing, and it's still making its way through the construction markets, but it's going to take some time. But meanwhile, Democrats say lower-income Floridians need more urgent relief. Meanwhile, Senate Bill 328 and House Bill 1239 aim to revise the Live Local Act, by no longer allowing industrial land to be used for affordable housing and amongst other provisions clarifies that only affordable units in a qualifying development must be rental units and requires a qualifying development within a transit oriented development or area to be mixed use residential. Both of these bills are making their ways through committees. And some other bills under consideration, House Bill 1365 and Senate Bill 1530, would prohibit people sleeping on public property in counties and cities or in public buildings right away without a permit. Wait a minute, this is the same thing that's being discussed in City of Deland. And if a county wants to designate an area for homeless, it must have public restrooms, 24-hour security, access to behavioral services, drugs and alcohol would be prohibited, and the designated area cannot adversely affect the value or security of any nearby residential or commercial properties. It would allow any person or business to sue a local entity that would include attorney's fees court costs and other reasonable expenses and last year miami-dade and broward and pinellas counties led the state with the biggest homeless populations and another bill the solicitations of contributions act 759 would make panhandling illegal in most cases And it would be an add-on to Florida's charitable solicitation law restricting when and where panhandling occurs. And it could make the act a felony. Next item, Governor DeSantis expects the state Supreme Court to approve putting the recreational marijuana constitutional amendment on the November ballot. If approved, the initiative would legalize recreational marijuana for adults 21 years old or older and allow individuals to possess up to three ounces of marijuana. Now, in Florida, constitutional amendments require a 60% supermajority approval to pass. Meanwhile, Attorney General Ashley Moody's office and the Florida Chamber of Commerce contend that the amendment is misleading and fails to address the single subject matter as required by state law. The Florida Supreme Court has until April the 1st to decide whether or not the proposal should go to the voters. Next item, on their February 7th agenda, Daytona Beach City Commission will decide changes to their Charter Review Commission process. The Commission is looking into the timing on when seven Charter Review Commission members must be selected and the number of required town hall meetings to be held. Now, as we've discussed before, that it appears that the county will have no charter amendments on the November ballot but it's likely that Daytona Beach and other cities will have charter amendments on the November ballot. Next item, January 9th, Daytona Beach Shores City Commission appointed two city commissioners to take the vacancies for two commissioners that resigned last month. But uh, for seat two, they appointed former police chief Stephen Dembinski for seat two and local realtor Mark Card for seat three. Both terms will be for 10 months. And on the other side of the county, Orange City had two resignations last month. So on February 5th, they will interview potential appointees for city council February the 5th in a special meeting of which they will then come back and decide on those appointees at their February 13th city council meeting. Next item, Volusia County school graduation rate for 2022-23 rises at 91.6%. Yay! That's 3.6% above the state average of 88%. In addition, all 10 high schools in Volusia saw increased graduation rates. Deltona had the highest graduation rate at 99.7%. Pine Ridge High School graduation rate rose 10%, and Volusia schools rank in the top 10 districts in the state for 2022, 22, 23 graduation rates, and second among the 11 Central Florida districts. And Volusia schools had the highest graduation rate increase at 2.7% among Central Florida schools. Next item, Volusia County School District and Volusia United Educators reached an agreement to include school counselors and speech and language clinicians under the stipends provided to school psychologists. This agreement would be retroactive to July 1st, 2023. Next item, January 24th. DeBerry city leaders hosted a groundbreaking ceremony for their two phase main street project. phase one would include 290 townhomes and 36 live work units. Phase two would include retail spaces, restaurants and shops and construction is set to begin later this year with phase one being expected to be completed in 2025. Now, the project will be within walking distance of the SunRail station. Now, I'm gonna say back in the day when I was working on SunRail, this was the type economic development project that was all along envisioned in residential units, whereby someone could live in DeBerry and then commute to Orlando elsewhere. City Manager Carmen Rosamunda said the downtown area's current value at maybe $400 million or so in three to five years will be almost a billion dollars. Excited to hear this. Next item, touching on the economy, the Treasury Department and Congressional Budget Office budget data shows that federal spending was $170 billion dollars and it rose faster than tax receipts that were $83 billion, resulting in a $510 billion deficit that was $89 billion more than last year's $421 million deficit for the first quarter of 2024. Now, the CBO found that the cost of servicing the nation's $34 trillion national debt, let me repeat, $34 trillion national debt was the biggest contributor to increased spending as interest expenditures rose by $73 billion. Another factor was Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and FDIC's $62 billion spending increase was in order to resolve bank failures in 2023. Mandatory spending programs also played a role in the larger overall spending, with Social Security benefits increasing by $37 billion, 12% over last year, while Medicare benefits increased by $18 billion, or 13% over last year. And on the revenue side, corporate income tax collections rose $44 billion, that's a 42% increase from last year, and the federal income payroll collections rose by $42 billion, 5% over last year. Now, this comes after the federal government saw a $3.1 trillion shortfall in fiscal year 2020, a $2.7 trillion shortfall in fiscal year 2021 due to the surge of federal spending linked to COVID-19 pandemic, and the Office of Management and Budget estimates a $1.8 trillion deficit this year. Now, going back to local matters, January 24th, 25th, Lucia flagler Coalition for the Homeless held their 24-hour point-in-time count from 12 noon to 12 noon. Now, during this time, volunteers, they go out into areas frequented by homeless individuals in order to interview them. The information from these interviews is sent to Housing and Urban Development, HUD, in Washington in order to bring federal dollars back to Daytona and Volusia. Now, I think this is my 17th year in doing these sort of interviews, and you can hear a lot of different situations on how individuals became homeless. Now, for years, I've been going to the labor halls and before their workers hit the job sites for the day, but in the last several years, it was encouraging that most of them said. They're working, they got a roof over their heads. And in other words, they're, they're not homeless, not anymore. Because now I'm hearing that more workers are sleeping in their cars due to the high price of rents in the Daytona Beach area. The cost of housing is out of their price range. And these are working folks. So it's kind of disheartening. And I'll have more details on that homeless count next week. Today, we have with us First Step Shelter Executive Director, Victoria Fallberg. Victoria, glad to have you with us today.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Jim. I'm very happy to be able to be here with you and to talk a little bit about First Step Shelter.
0: Victoria, tell us a little bit about yourself personally.
1: Oh, well... um I came to Florida, it'll be six years in March, and I came down here. My mom was living here, and she, my dad had died a few years earlier, and she really needed someone down here, so that's what brought me down here, uh, and I was working remote at the time, but decided that I, I didn't really want to do that, and I saw this job for the shelter, and I had absolutely no idea of all the... Uh, you know, sort of controversy that had been going on before I arrived. So I applied and I got the job, and it was a it was really interesting. I've never worked in the sunshine; never even knew what that was. Mm-hmm. I've never had um, the majority of my board a bunch of politicians. So uh, it's kind of been an adjustment. Overall, I wouldn't change it. I feel like it's been a great experience.
0: Well. I remember when you were hired, and uh, and you've done a fantastic job though, but uh, getting into the shelter itself, tell us a little bit about the shelter. uh, Exactly what do you do out here? What's your capacity? uh, How long do do your people stay out here at the shelter, per se? Okay.
1: Well, I'll start with the capacity question. So as you know, we have two programs here, the Safe Zone and the shelter program. So the safe zone, the Rosie Tornado Safe Zone is open 24-7, it's only for law enforcement. It's their ability that if someone is um, not obeying a minor ordinance violation, such as loitering or sleeping in a park after dark or something like that, they have the option of taking the person to the safe zone and they have to the there's an agreement called the pottinger agreement which would require them to ask them first if they want to come to the shelter if somebody wouldn't want to come to the shelter then they have an option of the arrest and so the safe zone is a tool for law enforcement the shelter program is different the shelter program is for people who are on the street that would like to change their life from being in the street to Earn, you know, having an income, getting themselves together in the sense of taking care of their physical health, working on their addictions or alcoholism, and doing what's necessary to become a more productive citizen. And so when they come into our shelter program, they have, you know, we have rules and they have to agree that this is what they want, is they want to go through our program, address the needs in their life, um, get an income and then move into housing and with the income part many people who come here are disabled or elderly and so in those cases if they can't work what we do is we apply for social security or disability um, so because you can't move into housing if you don't have income to pay for rent and so that's how our program works and in terms of how long people are here I would have to say it depends. So, people who come in who really do want to change their life, they're here longer than people who come in who maybe are willing to see what it's like but then feel confined or maybe don't want to go to work or find that it's really hard for them to stop doing drugs or alcohol. So, those people might leave in a week or two weeks, a month. Uh, whereas the people who stay, it can if they need social security and we have to apply for it, it can take, you know, we've had cases where it takes more than a year. So we don't wanna keep people here that long, but we would never put them back on the street if they're doing everything we've asked them to do. Because our goal is to reduce homelessness. And it's counterproductive to take somebody who's working hard and just stick them back on the street because of an ar- arbitrary time frame. So, you know, that's, that's uh, how we work and that's the, the, the time frame issue.
0: What is your, I'd say your, what is your average, you would say for the most oh, part, right. average client?
1: Our, our average daily, daily capacity yeah. is about 65 to 70 people per day. And we would be able to make space for more men. We do not have space for more women because of the way the dorms were constructed. But we have not had the need to, um, for example, hire more staff that would be required because it's pretty consistent on a daily basis that that's what our census is. So um, in terms of what people are like, are you talking about characteristics? What people are like? Their characteristics. Yeah. So, I would say the majority of people who come here are over the age of 50. So it's an older population of people. Now we do get younger people. The cutoff is age 18. We won't take anybody under the age of 18. And people, we so we don't ever have children here. So we are not a family shelter. If uh, there's a couple here, partners, they're more than welcome to come, but. There's a men's dorm and a women's dorm, and that's where they sleep. So we can accommodate couples, but not in their own space. Um, So they're elderly. We have more and more people coming in. So, for example, today we had two elderly women come in. They were both over the age of 70, 171 and 176. And one of them had been living with her sister, and the sister just got fed up and threw her out. And the woman had no resources. She has social security, but immediately she didn't know where to go, where to stay, so she's here. And the other woman um, is a situation where the rent went up and she couldn't afford it anymore. Mm -hmm. So she found herself on the street. And that's one thing we have been finding more and more frequently that because landlords can get more rent or they can even sell at a much higher price, we have more landlords making the rent very hard for people on fixed incomes to keep paying. And also the situation of um, if they decide that they want to sell their property because now it's, a lot, it's that very valuable. you know, Even if it's not that nice, they're getting a lot more money for it. So we're having more and more elderly people on fixed income coming into Mm -hmm. the shelter. Uh, But we also have a lot of people that come in here that have severe mental illness and who have uh, drug addictions, who have um, alcoholism. And most of the people who come in here have uh, physical conditions. So we have chronic problems like diabetes, hypertension, seizure disorder. We also have people who have chronic kidney, liver, or heart failure. We have had people in here with MS and cancer and HIV. But because these people, many of them, have been on and off the street for a long period of time, because that when they do live on the street, they're not taking good care of themselves. They're undernourished and If they're doing drugs and alcohol, that also takes a toll on their body. Mm. Most people here smoke, so there's that toll as well. So people, when they come in, are usually pretty sick. Mm. And um, we're very fortunate. We have a health unit here in the shelter, and we have a nurse. And this is funded by Advent in Halifax. Good. And it has been really, the, you know, a great asset to our homeless shelter because we have so many people that need medical attention.
0: Wow. Well. So, how is First Step Shelter funded? Who were your member cities, so to speak?
1: So, our member cities are Daytona Beach, Daytona Beach Shores, Holly Hill, Ormond Beach, Port Orange, and just last September, New Smyrna Beach became one of our partner cities. And also Volusia County also helps with funding. Um, And then in addition to our government partners, we have significant funding through grants as well as through private donations. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, Victoria, do you have any particular challenges or difficulties that you've had out here at the shelter per se?
1: Well, as you might suspect, we have a challenging population to work with. And so it can be challenging just the day-to-day helping people work through some of their issues that they have. If you have been living sort of in an encampment or having a lot of instability in your life, if you haven't worked in a long time, sometimes people have sort of forgotten some basic socialization skills. We do have what we call the life skills course here which is mandatory part of our program. But people can engage in challenging behaviors here. Um, you know, you have people who want to bring in drugs and uh, it's challenging the health issues that we have here. So it's not uncommon that we have people that have seizure, seizures while they're here. And so um, certainly when the nurse is here, she can um, make, help make decisions about who needs to call, you know, who needs the ambulance. But other staff have had to be trained as well because there's just ongoing, you know, we have people here because their health is so poor who um, have may have glucose issues like their diabetes readings with glucose can go way too high or too low and that may need a medical intervention that's beyond our scope. Then we have issues with hypertension. You know, we have people who come in to the nurse or if she's not here to someone else, you know, talking about feeling faint and you take their blood pressure and you find that they need an ambulance. So there are a lot of challenges like that working here with our population, but over the years we've been open, the staff have been great at learning how to deal with those challenges adequately. Um, but the main challenge, difficulty, that is definitely the hardest, I think on everyone, but I can surely say for me, the challenges that um, keep me laying in bed awake all night is that there is no place available for people who need an assisted living Or nursing home Mm. Um, I have had people we call it dumping I have had people dumped here from Jacksonville Ocala um, Tampa Orlando from all around what (laughs) yes Um, what happens because there's no place to put people like this they end up putting them in a taxi or an uber giving the driver our address and then bringing them over here Mm. in a like in a few weeks ago in the span of one week we had three situations like this and it's a lot of times these people are incontinent and so just to say a lot of people who come to first step shelter are incontinent we have a supply of depends here that people need and we can We can generally deal with it. But that's people who are able to change their clothing, bathe themselves, and toilet themselves. But we get people dumped here who cannot do any of those things.
0: Wow. Yeah. Jeez.
1: So what choice do I have? Um, And so, you know, generally what will happen, like, I, I... I can't turn them away, but my staff rebel because they weren't hired to do that level of nursing care here. No one was. And at night, I have two security people here. I don't even have enough staff here to take care of people like that. Hmm. And um, so what happens if I do bring these people in um, is that, within a short period like we will call DCF and they will you know they have a duty within a certain amount of time days not immediately to come out and interview the person to see if this person is appropriate for some sort of um, help service housing that they might have that would be appropriate but often before the person even would get here from DCF um, the person would have a, you know some sort of medical emergency and go to the hospital and um, then I you know the hospital understands they're so awesome I mean they do know that we can't we don't have the capacity to help these people but I also know that then what does the hospital do you know it's like this is a is a situation and it, it tears me up, and uh, like I said, I've even thought of like putting a, you know, a, an electronic gate out front because I, like I said, I can't sleep at night when this yeah. happens. It it's just really a bad situation, mm. um, and because the lack of resources, that's why I have people dumped here from all over Central Florida, and um, because I think they don't know what to do either. You know, it's just, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's like really, really hard.
0: Well, in closing, let me ask, do y'all have some type of event coming up this weekend?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> um, yes, once a year. We started this last year. Uh, there's the Mayor's Gala. So Mayor Derek Henry of, New, of uh, Daytona Beach, he's the board of our, chair of the board of our directors. And has been ever since this has existed as an organization. He was the chair when I was hired. So, last year, we decided that we were going to begin doing an annual event, which is pretty common practice for a nonprofit. And that Mayor Henry wanted it to be the mayor's gala. And so uh, we did it last year. It was just an amazing success. Uh, we had 400 and 28 people attend. Yeah, nice event. We made around 250,000. That was our income, was about 250,000. And we're doing the event again this year, which is actually this coming Saturday, February 3rd, at the Hilton Oceanfront, starts at six o'clock. This year, our theme is Old Hollywood Glamour, and we have great entertainment I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I personally am really looking forward to it, and I, I would love to have people come.
0: Can you still get tickets?
1: Yes, we have tickets available until Wednesday. All you have to do is go to our website www.firststepshelter.org, and you'll see on the front on the home page where to get a ticket for the gala.
0: Well, Victoria, we're sure glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: And to finish up, look for a new podcast episode to be released next week. And the views expressed on this podcast may or may not necessarily express the opinions of Jim Cameron Consulting. And for more news, check out my newsletter, which is going to be emailed later this week. It's on Friday. And if you're not receiving it, call me at 566 566- 2140 and my $1,000 guarantee still stands. So looks like we had a great Rolex 24-hour race this past weekend and along with Brad Pitt in town making a movie about Formula One racing. and looks like the crowds will be forthcoming in the next few weeks for the races leading up to Daytona 500. So I wish NASCAR, the best for a successful and prosperous Speed Weeks. Now, this is Jim Cameron signing off, saying God bless and roll tide.